0: Welcome to the PMPA Speaking of Precision podcast, featuring your hosts, Carly Kistler-Miller and Miles Free. Hello, I'm Miles Free, and welcome to PMPA Speaking of Precision, Monday with Miles podcast. Carly Kistler-Miller has joined me today, and we are going to discuss golden nuggets from the blog. Welcome, Carly.
1: Well, thank you. And the blog is also calling Speaking of Precision uh, no irony there. We we named it that way. But um, yeah, everything, the blog existed on a different website. So everything's been pulled into pmpa.org. It's part of the Knowledge Center. So it's searchable now. And while I was pulling those over, there were, oh my gosh, so many golden nuggets. But you picked out, what, three we're going to talk about today? I,
0: I picked out three. And I thought one of the things that we tried to do with our blog was To help people get the understanding they needed to successfully solve problems. Problem solving is more than blaming the vendor.
1: Yeah, that's not problem solving
0: at all. No, it's more than swapping parts. Right. It's more than pointing at other people. There's a process. And if you have the information you need, problem solving, that's That's probably where you'll find the most money today in your shop. Problem solving. Problem solving. If you've got a machine down, every hour that it's down is money out the window. Money out the window. So if you can turbocharge your problem solving and turn those hours or shifts of downtime into productive, compliant, part-producing time, that's money in the bank.
1: All right, so are you going to share some keys to problem solving?
0: Let's do it. Let's. Let's start with orders of magnitude, the key to process problem solving.
1: I'll admit orders of magnitude, as soon as I see that chart, my eyes cross. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, in, in, in science and engineering, you know, we use exponential notation. So 10 to the one is the, that's one, right? And 10 to the 2, that's 10 to the 2nd power, that's 100. 10 to the 3rd, 1,000. You get to 10 to the ninth, it's a billion. Now you're talking about government. <laughs> that's, that's money, right? That's right. taxes. Right. Okay. But we have the same concept of orders of magnitude in our shop. And, and so especially when you have a problem that's, I'm going to use, I'm going to say intermittent. When it comes and goes. Okay. You really want to get a handle on that frequency of occurrence because that will probably point your nose in the direction of where the root cause is.
1: Okay. So is this a step thing? Is this how does this work?
0: We're we're gonna find out when it happens. It happens you know every Monday morning okay. or, or it happens when we come back from lunch or it comes you know when does it occur so when does it occur how often does it occur it only occurs you know once a day after lunch you okay. know right? So, right, right so that you get a feeling for you know if you know we say correlation is not causality right that's who your book is a suspect <laughs> <laughs> That's the usual suspect. Right, that's, that's <laughs> the suspect, you know. Don't go over there. Ask, ask who's involved there. So if we look at a problem that's occurring intermittently, we can, we can you know, typically you're going to want to say, you know, I put this material in, now I have this problem. So we're going to say it's a material, you know. I suspect the material, it's the material. Well, if we do that, Is this happening, this problem happening, is it happening per piece? Mm -hmm. Is it happening per bar? How many times per bar? How many times does this thing show up on a piece? How many times does it show up on a bar? How many parts are there on a bar, right? Right. Does it show up how many times on a bundle? Oh,
1: okay.
0: Okay. So it may be on a piece, it may be on a bar, but it may only be on two pieces of bar ends from a whole bundle that might have got bent. Ah. So we're trying to get this order of magnitude, this frequency of occurrence, you know, is it per lot? How many bundles in a lot, a production lot? Okay. Did somebody, you know, somebody mishandle something bringing the second bundle up, you know, not on the first bundle, whatever, you know, is it per order? Is it on your shop order? How much material was released on that shop order? Is it only material, is it only showing up on material identified by one heat number or one lot number or whatever Yeah. on on this whole big order? And, And then finally supplier. So, you know, it only happens when I have material from ABC. ABC happens to have uh, use v- trucking vendors doesn't have their own vendors uh, their own trucks and so they don't get it blocked right so maybe you've got some bending going on there's there's a lot of things that are implied by the frequency of occurrence when you're looking at it from a the material point of view material lens
1: okay so you use the relative frequency and then it's by per piece per bar per bundle per lot, per order, per heat, and per supplier. It just right, keeps getting, right. you just keep broadening. Right. And, uh, and that's the first time I've ever understood orders of magnitude. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: well, welcome to the engineering makes sense. <laughs> side, of the, side of the shop. So that's looking at it from a material, material supplier point of view. Hey, we put this material in, now we're, we've got this thing happening, and mm-hmm. hey, right? Okay. But as a material supplier, I'm going to say your shop also has similar taxonomy of, of frequencies of occurrence or orders of magnitude.
1: You mean like in the processes?
0: Exactly in the processes.
1: Okay. So how does that work?
0: Uh, if I've got a six-spindle machine and one-sixth of my parts are out around or out of line or off center, one in six of so six spindles
1: so it could be per, per spindle. spindle okay
0: it could be per stock up you know i've just loaded all six spindles and you know every time i stock up i get six parts that are off center well guess what the first six parts <laughs> on the first six bars
1: that's the problem so six showed up okay. if it's
0: a davenport it's five the first five right so per spindle per stock up uh, per machine. You know, I'm running this job on three machines. It's only happening on one machine. One third, one third of my exhibited frequency Mm -hmm. kind of correlates to one out of three machines. What's next though? Shift. Day turn, night turn. Oh. Right? I only get these parts on night turn. (laughs) Oh, but we have statistical process control. Yeah, but does do they follow it? <laughs> does the crew on the second shift actually go through these steps like they do on day shift with the foreman looking over their shoulder? Or do they take a shortcut that might involve a bigger hammer?
1: Ah, uh, okay. So right? we've gone per spindle, per stack up, per machine, per shift. What's per, next?
0: Well, a release. So maybe we release you know, a a production order and the last time it was fine and this release, we Uh have the problem. Uh, Another way to say that might be batch. Okay. So it could be per batch or lot or finally production order.
1: Okay. Okay. So we've covered the processes and the materials. So how does that work?
0: Let me tell you, this was one of the most Difficult problems I ever had to solve. In a prior life, we made. I was at a steel company, and we made a near square with radius corners. And this this product actually went to Sony Trinitron. They made TV yeah. screens, and before there were LEDs and LCDs and all this new tech, the sharpest picture you could get was a Sony Trinitron, and that was because. They had custom steel frame, and then they welded a metal screen with holes in it for the electrons to come out and paint the picture on your tube. Oh, cool! Okay, yeah. We had the con- we were the exclusive provider of this steel. Oh, wow! And out of every truckload, mm-hmm. out of every truckload, Sony would have maybe seven or eight frames that wouldn't work they huh. were twisted and they couldn't get it back okay. now only seven or eight out of a truckload i mean out of you know a couple thousand who cares right sony cared apparently <laughs> sony cared they're, i mean they're paying for it right and sure. we want continuous improvement you know it was the most difficult thing to find so it, it got to the point where if you don't solve this problem, we're, you know. Done. Done. You know, we'll bring material in from Japan. Okay. Have to solve the problem. So what'd you do? Well, when they told me I can't come in the office until I find the cause of this problem, I went out in the shop. Yeah. All day.
1: hmm
0: And I watched them load the material into the shot blasters. Okay. Didn't see anything... Weird. Watched them draw it, nothing weird. Okay. Watched them cut it to length, watched them straighten it, nothing weird. Watched them bundle it. Yeah. And watched, they put the bands on the one end, Yeah. they put bands on the other, the next, then they put bands in the center, then they put a band on, and then when they go to put the last band on, The machine twists two, two bars, two square bars, two square bars, pushes them up just a little, just enough to make them not straight. There was two bars in one bundle. I've got how many bundles on a truck? Right. There's. There's
1: your seven screens.
0: There's my seven screens.
1: Wow. So you went through the orders of
0: magnitude. I went through the orders of magnitude. I looked for anomalies, and when I saw this, did the math. Did the math. It's like, I mean, there was no ticker tape parade, (laughs) but we put this problem to bed. It's gone forever. Gone forever. And then, of course, they invent LEDs. (laughs) (laughs) Who needs screens for TVs?
1: Great. All right, so that was our your blog on orders of magnitude keys a key to process problem solving. What's next?
0: Well, uh, we've had some activity and interest on plating. Oh, many times our parts, while they're great in terms of their geometry and material, they need a, a plating overcoat to make them function on the application, maybe makes them more durable, resists corrosion, maybe just makes them attractive. But anyway, they need plating right. and people have problems with plating. So what kind of problems? Uh, well, that's a that's a great question. Uh, it could look ugly, it may not stick, there may be blistering, it may be off color. Um, it could look camouflage, and it's supposed to look like a mirror. There's all kinds of things that could could happen. And, and, and so how do we approach troubleshooting, problem-solving, on plating on parts, there are parts, but we're not the plater.
1: So there's, what, what contributes to these problems?
0: The first thing I look at, and, and I've had been really pretty successful with plating throughout my career um, and helping people understand the problem is where does the plating problem occur on the part?
1: On the physical part. On the physical part. Okay.
0: Okay. So if it's on the original surface of the bar, in other words, if you've got a hex, you probably didn't take any stock removal on that hex. So that's the original cold-drawn bar. Okay. Okay. But then you machine it. Mm Mm-hmm. So if the plating issue is occurring on both that... OD, that original surface and the machine surface, chances are pretty good that you just didn't clean the parts, that parts didn't get clean going into the plating because it occurs both on the native material finish and the other. So there's some residual oil or metalworking fluid or some something that is preventing the, the chemical reaction.
1: So... Well, if you're talking about inadequate cleaning, are you talking about the process or are you talking
0: about, like, the the materials that are used to clean? Well, that's up to the plater or whoever was supposed to clean it. So we need to have some kind of film on steel parts so they don't rust between our our shop and the plater. You know, you're going to put them in a semi. The semi is going to sit out in the sun. Then they're going to unload them. Then there's going to be high humidity. So there needs to be oil on them. But that oil needs to be removed prior to plating. So the cleaning prior to plating is suspect if the issue with your plating occurs on both original bar surface and as machine surfaces.
1: So alkaline cleaners, those can take away oils, Those right? will take
0: away oil, absolutely.
1: Okay. Okay, so inadequate cleaning is, is one contributor. Right. Is and there if another?
0: It, the issue is on both ma- as machined and original bar surface. Inadequate cleaning is the place to stop. That's the place to go okay. right there. That's, that's our first suspect. What's the second one? If the plating difficulties are only on the portion of the part where it's the original bar surface, yeah. then failure to take stock removal, adequate stock removal, is, is go- what's going on. So there are pits in that surface even though it's a bright drawn there's little bits of pitting there may be some scale so you need to go back to your steel supplier Um, in the old days we used to pickle and might not get it now they're doing shot blasting and this shouldn't be an issue but um, if it's only on where (laughs) where the uh, original bar finishes we can't really blame the plater
1: so if there's a little bit of scale on there.
0: Well, yeah, it's not conductive, Okay. so the plating won't stick. So um, inadequate stock removal or inadequate cleaning at the supplier, or again, it could be just really persistent rust preventative, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So we're, we're talking about inadequate cleaning. If there's some persistent film, otherwise it's, more likely pitting and and scale carryover from the uh, original material
1: okay so then what's you talk about three
0: contributors what's the third one well this one is really key to where it shows up on a part so, so if it always if it's always located next to this little tiny hole <laughs> oh okay then there's a good chance that that little tiny hole had some residual fluid from the last step carry over didn't get didn't get dried off between steps and so that chemical contamination is preventing the plating from adhering properly and and developing the finish you want. Okay. So
1: it's that's not on the plater though, right? Cuz it's just part of the feature or how is that fixable?
0: So the plater needs to understand uh, they may need to use different kind of wetting agents to eliminate the surface tension so that the fluid can come in. It may need to be cleaned with a hydrocarbon prior to the alkaline. Okay. Okay. So there's, there's a lot of things that are going on. And, um, so if it's near a groove, if it's near a hole, um, you know, maybe we need to dry it. Maybe we need to blow agitate, you know, that's, that's up to them. That's their magic. But if it, if the discoloration is always next to this little tiny hole, it's not the steel. <laughs> the feature. It's, it's the feature. So the process needs to cope with that. And then there's one final thing that I didn't put in this particular post, but yeah, it's the shape of the stain. The shape of the stain? The shape of the stain. Okay, explain. So if the parts look like they have chicken pox, Yeah. There has just little round dark spots. Yeah. That's likely carryover of an aerosol of small particles from somebody the next machine over blowing blowing oil on it. Oh. Whereas if it's an irregular kind of dimensionless stain. Yeah. That's a film. That's different. So if you see these little perfect little round spots the chances are pretty good. Somebody got overspray somewhere. Okay. Shape of
1: the stain. So it's actually four contributors.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right.
1: You got one more here. One more. Oh, this is one of your
0: favorites. Oh, safety. Safety. So the posts you put up, how many? Uh, Over a thousand. Over a thousand posts. They're not all problem solving. Some of them are about safety. And so this one is about lockout-tagout and what management needs to do, which is periodic inspection. Okay, so this is about what management needs to do. That's right. I mean, safety. We, we all need to be safe. Lockout-tagout is mandated by OSHA. We're using high-powered equipment, high-voltage electricity. There's stored power. We need to assure you know, lockout-tagout, no release of hazard, unexpected release of hazardous energy, and... Management is responsible for the system. Okay, so what do they need to look for? In their system, they need to document the de-energization and hazardous energy control procedure for every piece of equipment in the plant. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Now, maybe all the CNC's have the same lockout switch, the same control, and you can use one procedure for all the CNC's. Yeah or the cam machine, or whatever, but if it's powered, you need a de-energization lockout, tag procedure.
1: Okay, what else?
0: Employees aren't gonna read it themselves.
1: <laughs> you gotta train the employees. You
0: gotta train the employees, right?
1: <laughs> That's it's not dark. just,
0: here's a lockout, tag-out, it's like, go here we are, folks. This is to protect you so you don't get injured. You don't get struck by. You don't get pierced.
1: I imagine that's a training they're going to pay attention to. I,
0: well, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I sure did. I, I sure did. <laughs> and then the final thing that management has to do yeah. is they have to assess the effectiveness of their system, right?
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Right? I mean, that's on us.
1: Exactly. Right.
0: It's not on the employees. So, you know... Mm-hmm. is the training being performed is the documentation still up to date you know can this person actually demonstrate that they do it can this person will this person actually tell me where, where to get the lock or the tag <laughs> and by mm-hmm. the way will they use the proper hand to pull the switch
1: and I imagine that's where they also improve it, it find it, ways to improve this, it, the exactly process right.
0: continuous improvement So uh, this is called periodic inspection. It's 1910.147, parentheses C, parentheses 6, parentheses 1. I'll just read it. The employer shall, that's a shall, not a should, (laughs) shall statement, right? (laughs) Shall conduct a periodic inspection of the energy control procedure at least annually to ensure that the procedure and the requirements of the standard are being followed.
1: All right, well, that seems pretty clear.
0: They shall. They shall. They shall. So what if we showed you that we've moved over a 1,000 posts to our website? Yeah. Okay, they help you with problem-solving on your shop floor, help you with problem-solving for outside vendor processes where you have no knowledge, and help you understand your requirements and how you can better manage safety in your shop. We just picked three. We just picked three. There's more to come. Or
1: you can just go on pmpa.org and have a look.
0: Have a look. That wraps up today's podcast on Gold Nuggets on PMPA's website. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. You don't want to miss one.
1: And for additional information, as we just suggested, Please visit pmpa.org, where you can also search for articles, webinars, more podcasts, and other resources like our Knowledge Centers. And if you aren't already taking advantage of a PMPA membership, be sure to check out pmpa.org to see the myriad of other benefits. And why is a PMPA membership so important, Miles? Because
0: Because we we are are better better together. together. Don't forget to join us next Monday on Speaking of Precision, Monday with Miles.